Hello, everybody. Thank you very much for joining us here on Geoversive Earth Intelligence. I'm Don Shelby. It's good to have you with us. Our guest today is Robert Bryce. Robert Bryce is an author, journalist, public speaker. He's been writing about energy, power, and innovation politics for 30 years. And his books include Smaller, Faster, Lighter, Denser, Cheaper, and Power Hungry, which is also the name of his podcast. His articles appeared in Time, Forbes, Wall Street Journal, The New York Times, and his sixth book, The Question of Power, Electricity and the Wealth of Nations, was the inspiration for the documentary Juice, How Electricity Explains the World. And with us to have a conversation with Mr. Bryce is uh, Joe Robertson. Joe is the founder of Geoversive, Citizens Climate International Director and lead strategist for the Resilience Intel Climate Smart Finance Initiative. Welcome to both of you. Thanks, Don. Glad to be with you. Thank you, Don. It's great to be here. We're going to be talking about electricity poverty, about how the world and the planet is divided between the haves and the have-nots, those people with electricity, those people without electricity. And I'm quoting now from the book, electricity is the ultimate poverty killer. No matter where you look in the world, as electricity use has increased, so have personal incomes. Having electricity doesn't guarantee wealth, but its absence almost always means poverty. Robert, do you believe that in your heart based on what you've seen with your own eyes? And I should add that your documentary, Juice, was basically a co-production with this book, and you were shooting the documentary simultaneously. You know, I could give you several examples, but I, the one that really comes to mind at the moment is going to Puerto Rico and, and seeing uh, people who had lived with electricity their entire lives, and suddenly they were without. And they were without because of uh, Hurricane Maria and had been without in many cases for months. And so they were using small generators, but their lives had been completely turned upside down. So I, I believe, not in my heart, in my head, in my soul, that Electricity is the great equalizer. This is the form of energy that humans crave over every other, and it is the one that is truly transformative. It, it changes people, and in particular, it is uh, uh, the key to liberating women and girls from the drudgery and, and really from domestic slavery, If uh, and we can talk about that if you like. But yes, electricity is it. I'm all about electricity. If you were to measure all of the electricity demand in terabytes, and we'll get to the uh, nomenclature a little late, later on. But when we talk about the uh, terabytes of uh, capacity currently in either the United States or the planet, whichever you choose, how much are we producing right now? How much are we consuming in terms of electricity, in terms of watts? The The capacity is measured in terawatts. And US, the U.S. now has about 1.1 terawatt of generation capacity. Uh, that capacity generates about 4,000 terawatt hours of energy uh, per year. But I think the key, and you know, let's, I, I, you mentioned the refrigerator earlier. I think that that's a, it, it's difficult for a lot of people to understand watts and watt hours. Watts is a measure of power. Watt hours is a measure of energy. But the key to the book and the key point that we make in both Juice in the film and in A Question of Power, my book, is this separation between the electricity rich and the electricity poor. And how do you express that? Well, there are about 3 billion people in the world today who live in places where per capita electricity consumption is less than that of what's used by an average American kitchen refrigerator. So 
I, had, I got a new fridge just recently, but my old one used a thousand kilowatt hours per year. So there are more than 3 billion people in the world today who live in places where per capita consumption is less than a thousand kilowatt hours per year. So this is, a, this is an enormous discrepancy, a disparity when you think that in the U.S. we use about 12 times that amount. We're 12,000 12, kilowatt hours per capita per year. There are parts of the planet that don't have any electricity. And there are parts of the country that, parts of the planet, I should say, that do not have enough electricity to begin the creation of development and wealth. How many people do you estimate and how many does the UN estimate are without any electricity? Well, that number has been falling, which is a, a very positive trend. Um, the latest numbers, I think that the UN is saying they're under, it's under 1 billion or the IEA is saying it's under 1 billion. But for years, I, I think it's in round numbers. There's roughly about a billion people who have no access to electricity. But one quick addition on that, Don, is that access to electricity in the IEA and in the International Energy Agency's estimates or their metrics is something on the order of 50 kilowatt hours per capita per year. Well, that's nothing. I mean, essentially nothing when you compare it to the 12,000 or so we use. So uh, there's a big push on by Todd Moss at Energy for Growth Hub and and some other people to to increase that to what they call the uh, modern energy minimum. But yeah, I mean, these, these ideas about what is considered access, even those numbers are very low relative to the global average. How much consumption is required for the average person who has no access to electricity right now. What is the minimum requirement? How much would they need to have coming into their households or their businesses? Well, the modern energy minimum, what uh, Todd Moss and, and, and a number of other uh, analysts have just put forward in the last few months is to increase that to 1,000 kilowatt hours. But remember, the global average is around 3,000. And um, the other point that I think is critical here is that 4,000 kilowatt hours per capita is considered the cutoff. And, and, and I point this out in my book uh, in that I, I segregate the world or trifurcate the world into the high watt, low watt and unplugged worlds. There's well-established scholarship that shows over 4,000 kilowatt hours, people's livelihoods don't improve that much. So in terms of the basic metrics of health and education and so on. But um, anyway, there's a broad spectrum. And I think, I mean, the key takeaways, I think, you know, if I could just jump a, a little bit ahead here, Don, is that our desire to electrify the rest of the world can be a, a very strong, but electrification efforts and electric grids have to be self-supporting, that they, 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 and corruption is the absolute worst thing for electrification. So um, I think that these, this combination of concerns about climate and, and equity, and they're incredibly complex. And they, a lot of them hinge around the ability of countries uh, to have civil society, strong civil society, and working governments and working billing systems and these things that are needed uh, for, for electrification to succeed. The connection to civil society, I think, is really interesting because I think our political conventional wisdom sometimes pits these things against each other, right? That better governance is a kind of ideal or an aspiration and raw need is the practical and people will do whatever it takes to get it. But the insight that having a strong civil society with transparency, with trusted institutions is an integral part of having a functioning electricity system that can reach everyone. Uh, that's a really interesting insight. And I wonder, are there some specific 
actions that need to be taken or challenges that need to be addressed so that sustainable electricity production can happen and we can have that civil society that sustains it. Transparency in governments, that, that, that one of the reasons why places like Nigeria have, have not been able to develop their electric grid effectively is that poor governance. And that's been partly a lack of, of, of transparency. And so the push for transparency at, at the governmental level has been, I think, a part of that. But I also think that in some cases, you know, seeing what's, you know, the situation in Lebanon, a deeply divided country where the corruption has been endemic. I don't want to say, oh, well, throw up your hands and say it can't work. But I'm just going to add one quick point was, is that in Beirut, a beautiful city, incredibly beautiful. The Lebanese people, amazing. The food is incredible. But, you know, it, it, it's but it's a, a war torn country in which civil society and basic governance has failed the people for decades. And so, what has happened there? The emergence of the generator mafia, which was meant then that diesel fired or fuel oil fired generators become the fallback method for people every day. And so, you have terrible air pollution in the center of Beirut because of these these uh, highly polluting uh, generators but again it's a, you know an example of how the corruption leads to higher prices for for consumers but then it also leads to worse pollution for those same consumers so these these are i mean they're 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 interconnected and difficult issues but i agree i mean you know the better the governance the better the, the better stronger the civil society the better the grid now we're going to get to where the rubber meets the road and that is how do we get electricity to those places what is the means of the generation of power? What energy forces do we use? Well, coal continues to be uh, a very large segment of the global uh, electric generation sector. Um, uh, now, today, I think we're in the 30 percent, 30, mid 30 percent range. Of course, coal consumption is falling in the U.S. It's one reason why the U.S. has been leading the world and reducing its CO2 emissions on an absolute basis because gas is displacing coal. But China, and there was a story in Reuters just the other day, other day that China's added last year something like 30 gigawatts of new coal-fired capacity, which is an enormous amount. We're seeing coal still being built in, in South Asia. But I think that one of the other points that's clear, if we're serious about it, and I make this point in the film, I make it in the book, if we're serious about reducing CO2 emissions, we have to be deadly serious about nuclear. It is the only form of electricity generation that can provide the enormous scale of electricity that the world needs with a small footprint and at relatively low cost. Will it be easy? No, it won't. It'll be it'll be take a long time. But um, I'm, I'm adamantly pro-nuclear. And, and I also think that natural gas is becoming one of the, the, uh, the sources of or one of the primary fuels for electrification, particularly in, in uh, Southern Asia, and we see it in China and in Japan as well. If we think about the idea of smaller, faster, lighter, denser, um, I think you just mentioned some of that thinking, but there's also a question of whether the economic logic of how we provide power as a business is going to have to evolve the electricity sector with some other kind of business model being the investment driver. What do you think about that and how it interacts with the changes that we're seeing, whether it's natural gas, nuclear, or uh, renewables? I, I did an interview just recently with a Canadian who talked, you know, we talked about business models, particularly for, for nuclear, and it requires strong governments, in particular, strong civil society for nuclear to flourish. I think this idea that we're going to have zero marginal cost for solar and wind, yeah, well, it may be 
low cost to generate that power, but to store it and to to distribute it is expensive. And it's one reason why we've seen in U.S. states where we've had high penetration of renewables, we've also also seen in general higher prices. So um, I guess my broad statement in in response to what you said, Joe, is it's going to depend. I mean, you know, where where the business models and the fuels that are going to be used to electrify societies are going to be different depending on the local geography. Uh, geothermal in Kenya is viable and, and Djibouti in Africa, is, it's viable. Uh, I saw a lot of 25% of Iceland's electricity comes from geothermal, 75% from hydro, but hydro won't work in West Texas um, and nor will geothermal. So, uh, you know, countries are going to make their decisions and individuals make their decisions based on the fuels that are available to them that they can count on that are that are going to be affordable and reliable. Robert, can we innovate? I know you're big on innovation. Can we innovate our way out of the dilemma that we find ourselves in regarding energy poverty throughout the globe? Well, I'm, I'm incurably optimistic, Don. I mean, I'm you know, uh, the late Molly Ivan said I'm I'm optimistic to the point of idiocy, and and I am. I, I you know I believe in human creativity and. And I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a humanist. I want people to have better lives all over the world. And, and I'm doing the research that I did and traveling where I did it. It, it changed me seeing the abject poverty in India. I, I, I never imagined the scale of it or the depth of it. And I, yeah, I'm absolutely pro innovation. I mean, we've seen that in, in, in the last few years. I mean, we've, we've doubled electricity production over the last two and a half decades, we're going to need to double it again. And will some of that be from carbon, uh, you know, from hydrocarbons? Absolutely. We're not going to leave hydrocarbons behind anytime soon, uh, but we're seeing, you know, a lot of innovation in nuclear. We're seeing, you know, better, better uh, solar panels. We're seeing uh, higher energy density batteries. I, you know, again, I'm, I'm, I'm optimistic about, about the prospects. Now, let me get a handle on your humanistic side. Uh, in your book, you cite UNICEF and its list of countries with the highest rates of child marriage. And it says in eight out of 10 of those countries, per capita electricity use is so low that the World Bank doesn't even provide data on them. And that coupled with another one of your observations, uh, citing uh, Hans Rosling, the Swedish academic and statistician, that there are a lot of people in the billions uh, walking around wearing clothes that uh, have never seen a wash machine that they're washed by hand, and that women and girls are tasked throughout the planet with that uh, household chore. And so for every hour that they're spending washing clothes, they're not going to the library. They're not going to the bookstore. They're not going to the classroom. And therefore, they're sentenced to a life of uh, basic energy enslavement. It's exactly right. I say it in the film, I say it in my book, electricity liberates women and girls from the pump, the stove, and the wash tub. Um, If we want better outcomes for women and girls all around the world, one of the fastest ways to do that is to give them not a little bit of electricity, but enough electricity to make a difference, enough electricity to drive a washing machine and, and uh, and, and lights in the kitchen and a grinding machine and a refrigerator. Those are transformative technologies. And I'll make one other quick point. Um, uh, in the book, I have a chapter about the New Deal in the United States and the, uh, the Rural Electrification Act and the, and the uh, Public Utility Holding Company Act of 1935. The motivation that Sam Rayburn and George Norris and, and uh, Burton Wheeler, who were the key architects of those two pieces of pivotal legislation, 
they were concerned about farm women. In in uh, George Norris's memoirs, he talks about the the plight of farm women, and uh, and and the same with Sam Rayburn, who was from Texas, from Bonham, Texas. He'd seen his mother washing clothes by hand. He said, "I want my people out of the dark, and I want them out of the mud." And but it was. Uh, a, a, a key motivator for these 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 legislators who push for rural electrification in America was their concern for women and girls, and and uh, I, I'd love to see that same kind of focus and push on the global scale because of the electricity matters to every woman and girl in the world to, that allows them to get away from the drudgery of household work and and do other things. Robert, I think this is one of the most powerful pieces of the work that you've that you've been doing, which is this insight that electricity is fundamentally liberating. And you said earlier today it changes people. They not only do their circumstances change, but they become different. They can embrace possibility, they can do different things. It seems like if we're going to get to a place where everyone in the world is able to achieve dignified, sustainable human development, we have to be using energy that is that is cleaner, that is cheaper, that, as you said before, has a lighter footprint. And we have to have societies that are strong enough, resilient enough, that they don't suddenly descend into corruption in an unpredictable way. The work that I've been involved in talking to citizens, asking them to connect with people in government, suggests that when people in communities, including some of the most marginal people, people who would never have a voice, when they can actually play a role in helping to design what happens for their benefit, everybody's work improves. Do you see that kind of participatory process as a key part of this effort to liberate people through electricity? Is it something that can be done just by, you know, technocrats or does that kind of connection have to happen? Your work on, on those issues is far more advanced and involved than mine. I, I, I think that, you know, what I can only just a quick, a couple of very quick comments, which, you know, I, I saw this lack of, of governmental responsiveness in, in Puerto Rico and the frustration of the local people in the hills, not even out of our south of San Juan, who felt abandoned by their government. And so, you know, that that importance of government accountability, the, the, the importance for people to feel that their voices are heard. We saw the same thing in Lebanon, the frustration with the way the government was failing them. That is a tough issue. And it's one that, I, you know, I don't have, I, I wish I had a magic wand and could say, man, these governments are going to get better and more responsive and, and more transparent. Uh, alas, I don't have that wand, either that or it's broken. But, you know, I agree. That, I mean, the one thing that we saw was that People everywhere. They want better representation. They want to participate if they can, and and they want their government to work so they have lights at night so their kids can study. Robert Bryce, I want to thank you very much for shining a light on this. I guess it is presumptive that everyone in the electrified world understands there are people without electricity. But through Juice, How Electricity Explains the World, the documentary, and through your book, I think that you put a face on all of that, and it becomes visceral. Human beings have a tendency to not think of people they can't see. You give us an opportunity to see the people who are in electricity poverty, and you put a face to that. I want to thank you for that work and, and for Tyson Culver's work 
in producing the documentary and making that available for us. How can people see the documentary? Well, you can't escape it, Don. It's um, it's everywhere. Um, <laughs> luckily, it's uh, been added to Amazon Prime. So if you're an Amazon Prime uh, member, you can see it there. It's on iTunes. It's on Google Play. Uh, it's on a on a documentary website, a quite an interesting one called Curiosity Stream. Uh, we've had great uh, uh, traction there, um, but uh, you can find it on the web at juicethemovie.com. We're on Twitter at at Juice for All, um, and I'm on the interweb. You can't you you can't miss me, RobertBryce.com, and my Twitter handle is at Power Hungry, PWR Hungry. Robert, thank you very much for being with us. Again, thank you for the documentary and for your uh, journalistic work in trying to ferret out all of these troubling things and bring them to our attention. And I would also like to add that we hope that you will continue this work so that we can arrive at an answer so that people won't have to live in electricity poverty anymore in our lifetimes. Well, I'll say amen to that, uh, Don. I appreciate it. And uh, thanks to you and, and, and Joe for having me on and uh, uh, look forward to staying in touch. All right. Thank you very much. We'll see you later, Robert. Okay. Thanks, y'all. You bet. And you can check out earthintel.org for all of the podcasts. And you can uh, go to any of the platforms and you can go to find out a way to communicate with us, tell us what you would like to hear more about, and tell us where we have gone wrong, and we'll make the correction. Thank you very much for being with us. Joe, thank you. Thank you, Don, and thank you, everyone, for joining us. I'm glad we could bring you, uh, with Robert's help, uh, some of the human story of energy. This has been Earth Intel. Thank you for joining us.